Gabby Leibovich, co-founder Catch, Scoopon, Eat Now, Menulog, author Catch of the Decade. Thanks for joining me on Discipline. Great to be here with you, Tony. Now, you grew up in Israel, yeah. and whilst I've read your book and learned a little bit about your childhood, probably a bit more simpler and tough than uh, some of the childhoods we have here, when you were a young boy dreaming in bed at night or looking out the window at school, what did you think you were going to do when you grew up? I actually, it's funny, I've never asked this question before. And uh, I'm a soccer fanatic and I've been watching the European Championship all week. I really wanted to be a soccer player, you know. And I played in a... Striker? Yeah, I was a striker. I was on the right uh, right side of the field. Uh, but uh, I grew up in a small city called Naharia, and Naharia is uh, not even in the third division in Israel. So just to put it into perspective, you know, I wasn't playing for the Manchester United's of, you know. Uh, but soccer is certainly my passion in life, and right now uh, e-commerce and retail as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. good question, which I'm happy to answer. <laughs> you didn't have uh, business mentors or people around you in business growing up? Look, and um, we do talk about it in the book, that uh, I grew up in uh, a very much uh, an, an entrepreneurial home. My dad was always a small business owner uh, in some way. He was an electronic engineer that always ran various okay. stores. Yeah. Uh, he was a, a repairer of electronic equipment. Uh, we're talking uh, late 70s, big televisions, weighing, weighing 50 kilos, uh, valves, the big stereos, turntables, etc. In our city, we actually, again, being an entrepreneur, uh, vid video recorders were launched uh, sometimes in the late 70s, if you remember, the big war between Beta and VHS. VHS yeah. And uh, my dad got the uh, franchise to be our city's uh, only video library. Fantastic. <laughs> so stuff like that. I remember when I was 12 or 13, after school, I used to come and help uh, help at the store, yeah. you know, uh, with videos. And uh, it's fair to say that this was our Netflix at the time. We used to take a yeah. lot of uh, free videos home and, uh, and, uh, and enjoy them. Uh, again, we mentioned in the book that, um, you know, at, at dinner, we only talked about how to make money. This was the conversation. We did not discuss sports, uh, tennis, or even politics. It was always about entrepreneurial. And um, yes, when we arrived in Australia, I arrived here at the age of 16, very poor English. After finishing year 10 in Israel, I started year 11 here at Mount Scopus uh, Jewish School. Uh, and very much from the beginning, every Sunday, we used to go to one Turner Market as a family, uh, set up a stand at, you know, 6 a.m. And, um, and, and, and trade. And as soon as I turned 18, I got my first, I got my license, I bought my first, um, you know, Holden Gemini. Yes. And I started hitting uh, one Turner Market. Yeah. There's a market there called uh, Trash and Treasure. Yeah, yeah. My brother, Hezi, who's six years younger than me, was my assistant. So an 18-year-old uh, plus a 12-year-old. And uh, we had a lot of fun uh, learning uh, learning trade. Just the so, two so of you? Just the two of us. Oh, awesome. So it's fair to say that, uh, you know, retailing is uh, certainly in our blood. In the blood. Yeah. And what did everyone, did you, did you feel you were different, you know, with this kind of, going out to the markets, immigrant child, you know, coming in from a new country, did you feel pressure or different or you just look, had to find a way to look, make I, I, don't, I don't remember it being an option really. I don't remember it, uh, our parents asking us uh, whether we want or don't want to immigrate to Australia. And I don't remember it being an option uh, going to the market on Sunday. This is what we did. Yeah. I got another funny story that I've never told. I want to share it with you. Uh, we're talking 1986, 87. Uh, no internet and people were doing their trade on the trading post. My dad was working at the time at the company that was selling uh, answering machines and communication equipment. 
and I used to purchase answering machines from them. We used to uh, place an ad in the trading post and on some weekends my parents went to the market, I stayed at home and, uh, and I used to sell those answering machines to, uh, to trading post people. They assumed it's a single unit that I had uh, but I kept selling the same single unit over and over again. I think my record was about 13 answering machines uh, on a Sunday. Uh, just to remind the audience, answering machine was a complicated product yes. to operate and you sold yeah. it for about $350. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a lot of podcasts, Tony, but this is the first time I've told some <laughs> unique stories. So I'm enjoying this already. <laughs> and at school, what were you like as a student? So again, English is not your first language. You've got to come in and learn yeah. how to communicate. That must have been pretty challenging. Yeah. yeah. So I was a very good student in Israel, conscientious, one of those people that you that takes care of themselves. I was... Um, you know, I was a leader. Uh, but when I came to Australia with very poor English, jumping into uh, year 11 uh, and doing subjects like biology, chemistry, yeah, maths yeah. and English, uh, you can imagine uh, how difficult that can be with uh, very, very basic English. So the truth is I did struggle in year 11 and 12. And on top of that, you've got the whole social element, yeah. you know, uh, which is which is again, uh, you know, it, it was a struggle. So uh, the truth is I did not enjoy my seventeenth uh, and eighteenth year, uh, but life became a lot easier once I uh, you know went to uni after school. I did computer science in uh, in Monash Clayton. Again, reminding you back in 1989, uh, there was no, no internet. internet, so it was a very different computer science course to what, to what it is today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Interestingly, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, it's a three-year course that lasted four years for me because I was working at the same time. But I always knew that uh, I want to go uh, into retail yeah. uh, and join my dad's business as soon as I finish uni. And, and, and that's what I did. So unlike most students that wanted to get a job at the KPMGs of the world, uh, I knew that I was not interested in that. Right. So that was actually going to be a, a question. Your parents were supportive of you going into computer science and retail. They didn't push you to be a professional or that sort of thing. Look, the truth is I could not get into a different course. I remember that to get into engineering, you needed a higher mark and certainly to get into medicine legal, which I had no interest in. Yeah, you had to get a higher mark. So when I finished at 18, I could uh, very much afford to get into a science course. Um, but yeah, retailing again was in my blood and I was looking forward to jumping back into, uh, you know, various forms of retail. And at this point in time, you're in the markets, you're still doing, you know, doing a fair bit of electronics goods. Were you seeing a trend in this electronics market that you thought, um, no, nothing, just sort of... No, so prior to launching Catch of the Day, which we launched in 2006, I was working in the garage for two years selling on eBay. Prior to selling on eBay, I worked in my dad's store called Penacells. It was in Brighton. Yeah. Uh, and to those that don't know what it is, because the store has been shut, it's very much a early days good guys or JB Hi-Fi. Uh, back into, in, in the 90s, JB Hi-Fi had only six stores in Victoria. It's actually, I think it was six stores in Australia. So we were competing nicely against you know the JBs of the world. But uh, just like the Dire Straits Go songs, you know, uh, got to move those refrigerators. And that's exactly what we did. Selling televisions, uh, you know, uh, stereo systems, microwaves and so on. And I did that for a period of 10 years. 
but uh, I'll forever be thankful that this was my real university into yeah. into retail, learning how to buy, how to deal with suppliers, how to uh, deal with returns, uh, advertising in newspapers, uh, TV commercials, marketing, uh, and and so on. Uh, but again, there was no internet at the time, yeah. uh, and that was the only option. My dream was always to open a second store uh, in a different suburb uh, of Melbourne, and that would have been our uh, growth opportunity. Because yeah. uh, again, taking you back into the 90s, if you wanted to sell more, you needed more, more retail stores, outlets. Yeah. And then came the internet, which changed everything. Yeah. Now, before we get onto the internet, okay. in the book, there was one thing that stood out as sort of like, uh, this incredible beacon. I think the saying was along the lines of, uh, it's not the price at which you sell that makes money, it's the price at which you buy. Yeah. That's the more important thing. Yeah. So that was, that was fascinating. How did you, when you're on the floor and you're trying to buy suppliers, how do you focus in on negotiating better deals? Were you um, flexible around the different terms? Or you come up with innovative solutions? Yeah. or? You just build good relationships with the, the so 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 the line that's mentioned in the book is you make your money when you buy the goods and not when you sell the goods and if you buy the goods at a good price then the selling uh, you know part of that equation becomes a lot easier and anyone in retail or trading will definitely agree with that you know buy well and uh, and then it's 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 quite easy to sell uh, again in in that in, in in the book catch of the decade how to launch build and sell uh, a, a digital business. Uh, we talk a lot about buying and uh, in the early pages of, of, of launching Catch, uh, we, we, we credit a lot of our success to our buying ability and we actually use the line, we are better buyers. Yeah. How do you become better buyers? Again, there's about four or five pages that talk about that, but if I have to just uh, summarize it, it's really about relationships. Yeah. Suppliers like to deal with people that they like. Uh, if you build that relationship, and we say that relationship can't be built on Zoom, and on phone call and on email. It's about face to face. Yeah. It's about sharing a coffee. It's about getting to know each other's business and each other's uh, get, getting to know you as a person. And uh, we all like to deal with people. We all like to deal and associate with people that we like. Yeah. And if you like spending time with someone, then uh, good things will happen. And and that's that's really everything in life, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's it's no matter what you do, it's really about building those relationships. And at the end. Uh, Again, we do, we do talk about it, that relationship has to work for all sides. So it has to work for the buyer, for the seller, or the, and the consumer as well. We call it win-win-win. If part of that equation doesn't work, if the seller, if catch of the day is making money, but the supplier is losing money, that relationship would not last. You fuck your supplier once, but then you never see them again. Yeah. And all they say is, uh, is bad they, things they about tell you. everybody else. And, and then your reputation is ruined. Yeah. And at the end, all we have is our reputation and you want it to last for as long as possible. Yeah. So there's some old school methods sure. in with the, you know, the internet, the advent of the internet. You've still got to have the relationships to support it. Um, now we get into the internet. What makes a good website? What made your... <laughs> website stand out when you're competing in the early days against an eBay and these sorts of things and there's still the trading post going on at the same time mm. how do you go we can compete here we we can 
we can put something up that's going to attract traffic. So when, when we launched, uh, we de- well, certainly didn't try and build, um, you know, Australia's number one shopping site. All we were trying to do is, uh, is, is earn enough money to, to pay the bills and send our kids to, uh, to school. We launched in, you know, with a team of six people in, uh, in a tiny warehouse in Morabian, 200 square meters. Uh, and we actually launched a site called dailydeals.com.au. Uh, Daily Deals at the time had about 100 products in it. Why? Because we didn't have any money to buy any more products. We didn't have the space. The warehouse was very small and we were a very small team. Uh, Our main competitor at the time was a company from Sydney called Deals Direct. It was run by Paul Greenberg. Uh, And Deals Direct, when we had 100 products, they featured about 5,000 products. And we found that we can't compete against them. They were just too large and a lot more, a lot strongly financed than us. Um, my brother spotted uh, a site in the USA called Woot, W-O-O-T.com. Uh, and Woot was the first company in the world to come up with that flash sale model of selling only one deal at a time. Yeah, yeah. And we looked at it and said, shit, that's a really good model. If someone can bring it into Australia, then, then it should be us. And in October 2006, while running daily deals, we also launched a parallel site and we called it Catch of the Day. Um, and the concept was quite different and that was our point of differentiation selling only one One deal deal a day day. and we did that for a number of years maybe five or six years there was only one deal on the page it came on the site at midday at 12 o'clock and uh, and we made sure that it's a fucking good deal (laughs) and um, due to word of mouth and FOMO, fear of missing out uh, people were talking about it yeah taking you back to 2006 7 there was not much competition online. JB Hi-Fi was not online, neither was Maya, David Jones, Jerry Harvey, Iconic, none of them were online. We actually didn't have that much competition, uh, which which allowed us to grow. Of course, a lot less people were shopping online. And we do mention in the book that the most general comment that we received when, when we approached suppliers was, we do not sell to online shops. We only sell to retailers. Where is your retail outlet? And, it was interesting. It was challenging, but it was, business but model. it was also fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <clears throat> and what about uh, things in the early days, like putting credit card payments on, on the website? And yeah, know. so yeah, so most suppliers told us that they won't sell to us because we don't have a, a a retail outlet. And when we spoke to uh, shoppers online, the most common line we received was, "Is it safe to put your credit card online?" And if we all go back, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, we all had that fear. Is it is it a yeah. trustworthy element? Uh, you know, can I shop online? Uh, look, saying all that, those years, 2006 to 2010, I would probably call them the best four years of my life yeah. and certainly the best four years business-wise. That, that, that feeling of, of, of creating something unique uh, in a challenging environment, uh, being a David in a world of Goliaths and, uh, and, and, and actually succeeding is, is, is something that's very hard to replicate. And uh, you can see my smile right now. It's a very big smile, you know. <laughs> let's, let's go behind the smile though. Was there any <laughs> points where it, you know, it wasn't great growth or you said you know, up in Sydney they had better financing? Were there yeah. any moments where the business was in desperate need of financing or uh, things looked like it was touch and go, whether you were going to be able to continue to trade. Did you have those startup moments as well? I'm sorry to tell you that I don't have any sad stories to tell. <laughs> things were actually going well. 
A line that I often use is we were profitable every day, every week, every month, every year since we launched and we were making a lot of money. We made more money in 2008 and then most e-commerce leaders are making today. If I have to summarize it, the hardest bit was growing pains. What's growing pains? Doubling your business every year. Yeah. In the first six years of business, we moved five warehouses from 200 square meters to 2,000 to 4,000 to 16,000 to 23,000. Uh, moving a warehouse is very difficult. Preparing real estate, the whole lot. When I say doubling, we've doubled our revenue from 8 million in year one to 16 to yeah. 32 to 64, 128, 200 plus. That means doubling the amount of parcels going out. That means doubling the amount of employees you have in the business. Such that by 2012, we're already a team of 200 and by 2014, probably a team of 400. So growing pains is, 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 is just the hardest bit. Yeah. And uh, it's something that all growing businesses have to go through. There's no way, uh, there's no way around it. Let's look at the people side of it. Because mm. again, in the book, you talk about a, a developer that you had from very early on in the business that stayed with the business for a, a very long he's period. He's still there. His name is Ferry Satio. He's our first employee and he still works at Catch Today. Hi, Ferry. How are you doing? I mean, it's unbelievable testament to getting the right people that can grow with your business. Yeah. How important is the people side of look, hiring well and, and getting these people? Look, this out? book has uh, 200 lessons. Uh, and uh, we clearly mentioned that we saved the last lesson uh, for the last sort of page of the book. And that lesson is it's all about the people. So we have learned a lot of lessons through success, but we've also learned a lot of lessons through uh, failure uh, over the last 15 years. But if I have to summarize it, it's really all about the people. And yes, Gabi and Hezi are the founders of the business and we may be the face of the business and the, uh, the authors of the book. But uh, one thing that we have done is admitted to our, uh, to our weaknesses and we made sure that we hire the best people that we can afford. And when I say afford, we could afford much better people in 2012 or 2016 than we could afford in 2006 and 2007. Uh, but we always try to surround ourselves with the best people that we can afford uh, to, to complement our set of skills. When uh, our CEO, Nati Harpaz, joined us in 2016. You know, I remember telling him very clearly, Nati, you don't have to be the smartest finance guy in the room. You should not be the smartest marketing guy in the room or the logistics guy in the room. For that, you have the CFO, the CMO, and, uh, and, and, and the head of logistics uh, doing your job. Your job is to, to, to be the strategy person and, and, and to be the glue that connects it all together. Uh, but we made sure that we always surrounded ourselves with, with great people. If I could touch on something else, and that's the, the culture element. Uh, for those that have read the book, one thing that bounces back at them regularly is, 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 is the family atmosphere that we managed to create and build throughout that business, uh, which is something that I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of. But it's also the hardest part for me to talk about because there are so many elements that uh, you know create that 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 amazing feel or amazing place that people want to come to work at uh, and and stay with you for the long run, uh, even though they may be getting better offers from from elsewhere. And um, and I'm really happy to say that we managed to build a very very special uh, place. Does it help because you had family in the business? It was you you are family, so you treat each other with the same kind of respect as a family and that then permeates the whole organization? 
No, I don't think so. Of course, it, of, co of course, it started with me and my brother, and of course, we refer to this whole business as a family, or at least the management team was very much seen as as, as one big family where we cover for each other and uh, and help each other. But no, it was a team of uh, you know individuals from from Melbourne that uh, that teamed up and uh, and and really enjoyed spending time together and uh, and, and 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 kicking goals. Yeah, yeah. You talk about um, the logistics side of it. Mm. One of the questions I was going to ask about online retailing, and now that it is more online, it does seem to have a more sophisticated logistical side to the business. When does it become important? Um, and how do you manage that sort of logistical challenge that gets thrown up where you've got all these other third parties you're reliant on? So. We were certainly pioneers also in uh, Australian e-commerce logistics. Uh, back in 2012, we realized that uh, we can't just keep on building larger warehouses or moving to larger warehouses while we have hundreds of people walking the floor with the supermarket trolley trying to pack. There has to be a better way. And um, again, we discuss it in the book, not in too much length, uh, the process of uh, you know building a, a robotic car warehouse. We launched that, uh, that, that system uh, I think it was in December 2013, after a year and a half of search and build. Uh, and, and, and to date, that system by a company called Swisslog uh, is being marveled by lots of, uh, you know, lo logistical experts uh, in the country. Uh, what that element has uh, has given us is the ability to uh, ship more, ship faster, and, uh, and, and, and that's exactly what the consumer wants. Uh, West Farmers, the new owners of the business, have certainly taken it to the next level right yeah, now. Yeah. And uh, I've read last week that they're building a 30,000 square meter uh, you know, automated warehouse uh, in New South Wales yeah, right now. No. Uh, the game uh, will be won uh, in logistics. There's a lot of marketplaces right now, as you can see. Everyone's trying to uh, eat a smaller or a bigger piece of, of the, the same pie. And uh, speed of delivery and, of course, customer service will become crucial elements think, uh, to determine who the winner is here. I think I remember reading years ago or seeing it in the newspaper, you guys have invest, had invested in robotic picking and stuff mm -hmm. like this. But it was a long time before it became mainstream That's right. stuff. That's right. So for those that want to see it, just log on to uh, YouTube and type catch uh, robotic warehouse, Swiss log or something like that. Again, we're talking 2014 and we have spent $20 million on, uh, on a system. We were the first company in Australia to use that, uh, that uh, robotic system. <clears throat> Did it make sense at the time financially? You know, there's quite a bit of risk in implementing... Uh, pioneering logistical yeah. systems yeah. and a bit of investment. Yeah. Did the numbers make sense? Was it still a risk to jump into that sort of area? It's something that we had to do, and I touched on the reasons for it earlier. Uh, in terms of cost savings, I don't remember seeing any cost savings. It still costs us just as much to pick an item. But uh, again, uh, the benefits were uh, speed of delivery, uh, the ability to carry a larger amount of SKUs, and there was something else which I don't remember. So, <laughs> and what about dealing with your sort of last mile of delivery back at the time, probably Star Treks and these kind of people? When did it become an issue for you that, you know, there's a power disparity? You want to get to your customers quicker, mm. but you're reliant on someone who may not see the world the same way as you. 
Okay, so whatever you describe right now never really happened. We have teamed up with Australia Post back from the eBay days when I was selling and delivering it to the Hawthorne Road Caulfield uh, Post Office. Yes, yeah. And Australia Post is still the very much exclusive, uh, you know, delivery partner of, uh, of, of Catch. And uh, the truth is, I think they've done a tremendous job, you know, and if they didn't, I would, uh, I would certainly tell you. But I think Australia Post is doing an amazing job at, at growing the market. Uh, their, their leadership and strategy is, uh, is, is, is ahead of its time. Uh, Ahmed Fahour uh, certainly saw the growth of the internet, being the CEO of, uh, of Australia Post and done some amazing things uh, to, to make sure that the company is, uh, is ready for the future. And Christine Holgate has taken it uh, to, to, to the next level. Yeah. So we, we certainly are, you know, great supporters of Australia Post and they've been great supporters of us. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm not getting anything uh, from them for saying that. It's, it's the truth. <laughs> Groupon came and went. Mm. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be a passing faddish kind of model. At least that's what I thought at the time. Um, did you know it was or it wasn't? Did you see something that made you think that there were elements of this that were going to stick or were you just trying to make hay while the, the sun shone? So we launched uh, a competitor to Groupon called Scoopon, Scoopon. that happened in uh, April 2010. At the time, the whole world was mesmerized by the new model of Groupon, group buying, uh, etc. Uh, and there's about 80 different Australian competitors that launched, uh, you know, in, 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 in the following six months. Today, Scoopon and Groupon are still the market leaders in that space. That space is certainly not as hot as it was in 2012 and 13. It was absolutely booming at the time. But uh, one thing leads to another. And uh, within a couple of years, Scoopon became a, a great leader in, uh, in travel. And travel became a, a major part of Scoopon, which led to us uh, teaming up with Luxury Escapes uh, later on, uh, a, a market leader in, uh, in, in, in discounted uh, Travel. Luxury travel deals. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, for disciplined listeners, Adam Schwab, I think, was my first interview. Was he? Episode number one. So um, these days, um, website advertising, you know, anyone can buy it. Back in 2012, it was, mm-hmm. you know, easier to get the search words, cheaper to get the search words, easier to get SEO. So now you've got to build loyal communities and followings and get in. You know, it's quite it's quite difficult. Yeah. Um, what what are the secrets to doing that and doing it well? So uh, a line that I often use very proudly is that uh, we have not spent a single cent on marketing in our first six years in business. Again, we didn't have that much competition at the time, and Facebook and Google were not such strong forces uh, in, in 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 the advertising world. And uh, we, again, we were very, very lucky to grow by word of mouth. People told their friends about this amazing site and everyone kept running to it. Uh, later on, we realized that we need to start spending money on it. Um, myself and my brother are very different in our uh, view of, uh, of, of, of building brands. Uh, he only likes to spend money on uh, elements that you can measure, which is uh, you know, below the line. Yes. SEO, etc. I'm a firm believer of above-the-line marketing. I love billboards and I love radio and I love television and I love, uh, you know, sponsorship on your soccer shirt, etc., etc. And I think that today, again, well, this is something we'll argue about forever. He believes his way and I believe in, in, in my way. Uh, 
if, if there's one thing I regret about, uh, about building catch is not building a stronger uh, household brand quicker because yeah. we were a market leader for a long long time we were uh, the most watched Australian shopping site back in 2010 uh, and this is something that I have to give credit to West Farmers because after we left in uh, you know late 2019 they did go out there and spend shitloads of money on building that brand on, uh, on 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 above the line, yeah, all those yeah. elements that I mentioned earlier, and the brand is super strong today. Yeah. When you think marketplaces, you think uh, eBay, Amazon, Catch and Kogan. These are the four leaders, and everyone knows that, and it's uh, you know undisputable. Yeah. Uh, and it still makes me very proud when I drive by and I see those uh, Kim Kardashian uh, billboards, or listening to uh, a silly ad on the radio. Uh, catch will always be my baby, even though it's now uh, you in know, someone else's hands. In someone else's hand, and uh, it's in very strong hands. So, you understand customers and a bargain um, when you're buying something. And even back in the early days, how did you know an item was gonna, you know, and it was a bit more risky. You had one deal a day. How did you get a sense that this was gonna go, or you know, was it gut feel, or was it? luck or a bit of everything? A line that uh, Solomon Liu once said when they asked him about his uh, skill in retail and Solomon said something like, uh, I've learned uh, retail by walking. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, shit, that's exactly like me. Because I'm also, I'm in, I like to call myself an observer of retail. I love walking at Chadston, I love walking in the supermarket in Hong Kong or, yeah. or, or in any other part of the world. I read every billboards that I see. Yes. I used to read catalogs that were in my mailbox. Some people call it junk mail. For me, it was a treasure, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious by nature, I think. And it's something that really helped me later on. I took my skill of buying and, uh, and running a business from Panacells, but at Panacells we only sold electronics. So in the early days of uh, daily deals and catch of the day, the majority of the supplies were from the electronic space because these were my relationships that were built uh, in the previous business. But uh, from day one on catch, we realized that we don't want to be a site for nerdy guys and we really want to appeal to the whole Australian population. And for that reason, you need to sell uh, products for young, old, male, female, uh, you know, uh, boys and, 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 and girls. And uh, to answer your question, I don't know. It's a combination of gut feeling and learning yeah. and research, yeah. but it came easier to me than, than to others. And I'm happy to say that I took that uh, skill that you cannot learn at university and, 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 and I managed to pass it to buyer number two that was Anise and buyer number three that was Kalman and, 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 and so on. Uh, to a point where by 2012, mid 2012, Gabi could check out because he surrounded himself with really Good smart people so. that know what they're doing and that DNA has been passed. Yes. And those Anise and Kalman, like, we call them in the book, intrapreneurs, the people that care about your business just as much as you do. And they managed to build, that, build and transfer that skill to the next generation yeah, of yeah, buyers. Yeah. When we left Catch, there were 60 buyers there. And, uh, and I promise you, each one of them was a leader in their department. Yeah, yeah. What about um, when you look at, uh, you know, the people around you that are doing stuff, did you ever get frustrated that they didn't see things the way you saw things? 
no, <laughs> no, because I'm not always correct and my brother's not always correct and the CEO is not always correct. But I think you will get to more correct decisions when you put smart people around the room yeah. uh, and, and, and you discuss it. And it's not necessarily by a majority that will decide which way to go. But uh, yeah, surround yourself with smart people and don't tell them what to do. Uh, and you, you mentioned <clears throat> Kogan, it's interesting. So was there any part of the brand building because you were buying other companies' um, brands that you could leverage off their brands? So if you had a HP printer, mm -hmm. you've got HP in your corner, whereas yep. someone like Kogan yep. uh, has got his own brand that he had to build from scratch. Yep. Did that help? It, it certainly helped. So uh, we, 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 we realized that we want to go stronger in that direction again, roughly in 2012. Mind you, prior to 2012, catch of the day wasn't such a strong brand. So, uh, so brands were avoiding us or still saying no. But we always wanted to sell brands. Uh, again, I don't like to talk about others in my in my conversational podcast. But anyway, Kogan is a friend and I saw him yesterday in Chapel Street. Uh, and uh, yes, they from the early days decided that they want to appeal to that male customer. And they also decided that they want to be really, really strong with uh, household brands and many of them under the brand Kogan, which uh, I'm certain that if you talk to him right now, it's uh, probably uh, something that they probably regret and they would have loved to appeal to uh, to the wider Australian audience. Kogan is not known for fashion today or jewelry, yes. uh, but Ketch certainly is. And for that reason, we would sell a lot more of the same model. Yeah. Excuse me, Ruslan and David, uh, but uh, I love you both. Uh, but I think whatever I said is correct. Um, and then expanding out, you had a purchase. I've had Justin Dry on the series as well acquired Vino Mofi, yeah. which you tried to integrate or integrated for a little bit yeah. and then sold it back. Why sell it back after you've gone through all the machinations of acquiring yeah. something? So in the book, we the whole thing happened around 2012. And for those that will read the book, which is all of you, uh, we have done so much in 2012. We launched Scoopon in 2000, late 2010, and then we launched Grocery Run, and then we launched a site called Mamgo, and then we acquired uh, Vino Mofo, and then we started a food delivery site called Eat Now. And we were running a very successful growing catch of the day. There was so much happening in our building around 2013 that uh, the truth of the matter was that none of us gave any time to the Vinomofo brand. Uh, the guys were tremendous guys. We loved them. We acquired 70% of the business. They did the right thing and they moved from Adelaide uh, to our offices in Melbourne. But uh, we were just too busy growing a million other businesses that we cared more about. We also mentioned another thing, the three people that ran the business, myself, Hezi and Anis, uh, don't really give a shit about wine. We don't drink wine, we don't understand wine, and we can't tell the difference between a $500 bottle and a $5 bottle. And that applies to today as well. Um, and the guys came to us a year or a year and a half later and said, guys, thank you very much, but we would like to go and run it on our own. And uh, we gave them a hug and wished them all the well and all, all the it best. It made sense for everybody. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, Talk to me about the sale of catch. Mm. You know, um, tell me about that day. The it's over. The the money's in the account. What's the feeling? Is it accomplishment? Is it relief? Is it you've lost the baby? So it's like grief. So I'm getting into my car and I'm about to reverse, and I know that it's my last day at catch, and I started crying on my own in yeah. the car. 
and I'm going to start crying right now, and I talk to you as well. It was a very sad moment. And Facebook reminded me of that day last week, because it was two years ago last week. And uh, it was a photo of me sitting on a, on a table and talking to our office staff of uh, 200 people. And look, it was, it was very tough. It was really tough. And even it's hard for me right now to discuss it. I miss that team. I miss Catch. I miss going to that office every day, building, creating, etc. And what made it even harder is fucking Corona that started uh, five or six months later that made that business being valued at five, six <laughs> or, or, or seven times more. And I know that Kogan and Schaefer are laughing right now uh, listening to this again. Um, but it is what it is and no one saw Corona coming, not even the smartest person uh, in the world. Uh, we were very happy at the time of the sale. The seller wanted to sell, the buyer wanted to buy, and we agreed on a price that was fair at the time. Uh, but today, of course, e-commerce businesses are being valued at much higher, you know, uh, multiples, multiples of something else, maybe revenue rather than uh, rather than profit. And uh, yeah, I spoke to a friend of mine, Paul Greenberg, who is known as the Head of Deep Nora. He's the head of Nora right yeah. now. He started Deals Direct, and I'm 50 right now. Paul is 60, he's 10, year, 10 years older than me. And Paul told me, Gabby, I promise you that the next 10 years of your life will be the best 10 years of your life for a bunch of reasons. And two years after leaving Catch, I actually told my wife and my brother in the last couple of weeks, you know what? I'm actually happy that we are not at catch anymore. Yeah. I'm not interested in logistics. I'm not interested in hundreds of people. I'm happy that I don't have to compete against all these Amazons and Ebays and everyone else out there. It is tough. It is complicated. Uh, and my life is going in different directions and, 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 and I'm happy again. And I've got time to do lots and lots of things, including watching soccer and podcast and investing in companies. And uh, I wish I could do travel. We are waiting for yeah. the skies to open yeah. again. Yes because I should have been in Europe watching those matches live right now. Uh, so, <laughs> so Luxury Escape, for example, our largest investment is in Luxury Escape today. Myself and my brother own 20% of that business. As you can imagine, travel has got a big hit uh, through COVID, but they're doing extremely well. They had to transition from selling 90% uh, international travel to doing 90% uh, local travel. But uh, I can't wait for the skies to open because this is a billion dollar business in the making. It, it will, uh, it will a, be it, well positioned. It's, when the it's skies a strong open. brand and the pent up demand is unbelievable. Just open those skies. We all want to go somewhere. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about failure. Um, how do you view it? You may have stared it down yourself a few times. Yeah. You might have invested in some people that yeah. haven't quite uh, cut the mustard. And I know Israel in particular has a very different view on entrepreneurial failure than yeah. Australia. Yeah. What's your views on failure? Uh, the view, especially when it comes to startup or building businesses, is that it's, uh, it's, it's part of the journey and you have to fail. And uh, we have uh, succeeded because we have failed many times. And uh, in, in, in this book, we, we, we name all our failures one after the other. And we talk about Vinamofo as a failure and Mumgo as a failure and our investment in Pumpkin Patch. And I'm very happy to say that we sold our business at the worst time ever to sell an e-commerce business. Uh, I think that myself and my brother have this uh, ability to not cry about spilt milk. Yep. Uh, we are strong risk takers and that's another element that you need to have in business it's 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 very much essential 
uh, you'll never find us gambling at Crown Casino, but we're very happy to invest uh, uh, in a large way into a startup after meeting the founder for a half an hour coffee. Yeah. Um, and we fail and we've gambled on the wrong founders and the wrong startups as well. But I think overall, uh, there's been more successes than failure. So uh, I hope that uh, I'm gonna continue being a, an, an optimist and continue not worried about the spilt milk because uh, I can't really change it. It's, 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 it's who I am. And what about, was there a moment where you thought, you know, even in the early days, mm. the business might not go and you know, we're down to our last payroll. And I know you said it was profitable from an early day, but yeah. did you have a moment where you, you thought, shit, I'm gonna have to go get a job? And did you have an idea what you were gonna do yeah. if you had well, to? There was, a, there was a very, very short period. It was back in 2006. We were actually generating most of our profit from selling on eBay, on our store daily deals on eBay. And, uh, and eBay shut us down. Again, talking 2006, very early days of eBay. eBay never even had an office in, in Melbourne, or sorry, in Sydney. Their office was based in, uh, in Canada. Helpful. And uh, there was really no one to talk to. Everything was done by email and our site was shut for about two to three weeks for whatever reasons, I don't even remember. Uh, and when you're a small business and uh, you still need to keep on paying salaries and, and, and expenses, but there was no income coming in. Uh, but that was the moment that we realized that we need to control our future. And we shut our eBay store down and we pushed our own website, Daily Deals, and later on, Catch of the Day. Uh, but uh, saying all that, I have to give a credit to eBay for being there, uh, educating all of us on how to sell online. Yes. And there's tens of thousands of people still earning their, uh, their living, uh, you know, relying on eBay. Interestingly enough, eBay was the only marketplace uh, for a long, long time. I'm proud to say that we were the second marketplace in Australia after uh, rebranding from Catch of the Day to Catch. That happened in around July 2017. It was a major risk that we took. We were not sure on uh, how the market or our customers will accept the transition from being uh, a, an e-commerce site that carried all its goods to an e-commerce site that is also a marketplace. And I'm guessing I don't have to elaborate on what a marketplace is. But there's about 20 marketplaces today. Yeah, yeah. There's a new one opening every week. Yeah. Uh, there's one that opened there's, this week. There's even um, um, white labeled marketplace websites that you just sign up and then you put whatever your goods yeah. into the mar marketplace. A marketplace uh, you know, helps you create your own marketplace if you've got a brand and an audience. Uh, they're based not far from where we are right now and doing a, a great job. Uh, so there's about 20 different marketplaces in Australia. Woolworths has launched one recently. Click Frenzy launched one two days ago, I believe. Uh, it's called Click Central. They're, they're popping everywhere. Maybe it was a good time to sell. Hmm? Maybe it was maybe, a good time. Maybe, maybe, absolutely. Um, looking back, what surprised you the most of the journey from starting to selling catch? Wow, I really don't know how to answer that. You know, because I've, I've been through it every single moment, every single minute, uh, going through the transactions, going through the change. What surprised me the most is, is, is why me? You know, I'm just a simple guy from the suburbs without any uh, special education. I often claim that I'm not the smartest guy in the world, you know, and, uh, you know, why, why did it happen to us? 
maybe if you read the book, you'll probably un understand it, you know. Uh, we talk about the concept of luck, you know, mazal um, in, in Hebrew. And we say that it's composed of three letters. The first letter stands for location. The second one is uh, timing. And the third one is learning. And it's a combination of all of the above. Yeah. Uh, and location is getting yourself uh, out of your comfort zone. It's, uh, it's me saying yes to a podcast and coming to see you, you know. Uh, and if I don't do things, things don't happen. Yeah. And there's a good chance that someone that's listening to your podcast will uh, help me advance in one way or another. Yes. And, and, and the same applies um, in your case. I always position myself and I go to places and I go to events and people ask me to speak and I say yes and I'll travel to Sydney and I'll... I've been going to the gift fair every day for the last, every year for the last 15 years and I'll go to Hong Kong and I'll shake hands and I'll position myself uh, virtually on LinkedIn or physically, uh, you know, at the exhibition center. And if you don't go places, things yep. don't happen. Yep. Got to put yourself out there. Yep. Um, on the other side, what gave you the most frustration? <laughs> Got some really tough questions today, huh? Let's take a break. <laughs> I honestly can't think of anything. All right. Um, you mentioned investments. Mm. Move now into investing, tech startups, scale ups. Mm. You got a thesis or a philosophy? Nope. Okay. <laughs> That's easy. Nope. I'm not a. Both myself and my brother are not a finance people. We're not legal people. Uh, we've been there and done a few things over the last 15 years and probably learned a few skills again through success and failure. Uh, and, and we are risk takers. So uh, we are very fortunate uh, for all of the above reasons that we are in the center of the digital community and economy in Australia. And uh, we get to hear about a lot of deals, whether it's through our contact or people reaching out to us simply on uh, LinkedIn after reading the book. Um, 2021 is the best year ever to start a, a, a startup, digital business, and probably the best year ever to invest in one. The best time ever was probably in uh, mid-2010. Yeah. It's amazing to see what's going on around the world, uh, valuations. And uh, even in Australia, every week there's a new unicorn unbelievable. popping in Australia. And in Israel every day or twice a day, and I'm not shitting you. These these, these are the ra rates right now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's something that, that 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 we truly enjoy. And again, we make some mistakes, but we make a lot more. We get a lot more successes uh, than failure. But uh, for us, this is this is a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun spotting that opportunity in the early days and seeing it grow. But but it is it takes a lot of time. So it's not it's not an overnight uh, you know transition from uh, spotting an idea to uh, it seeing an exit. It 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 generally takes years. But uh, we've had a few successes already, like uh, High Pages yeah. and, and, and Tribe and Fiverr and, and, and a bunch of others. But um, I'm not kidding you, we invested in eight businesses in the last eight weeks. Fiverr was uh, particularly good business. Fiverr was amazing. We did it through SquarePeg, uh, spotted a nice marketplace. You all know what they do. Well, we invested in them at a valuation of 250 million. And today, Fiverr is listed on the NASDAQ at a valuation of $7 billion, I believe. Nice work. And, and it'll keep on growing yeah. because it's a market leader and uh, whatever they do is, uh, is certainly in demand. And uh, it's not going to stop, is it? Yeah. Especially with the whole working from home element. And, it's and, only and, getting and, more and fragmented. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. What about soccer? Want to buy a football team? <laughs> 
look, I've been following football for a long, long time. And one thing that I have realized that the, you certainly can't make uh, money uh, running a football team. Um, maybe one day. Keep it open. We'll, keep, mm. we'll, keep we'll it definitely open. keep it open. All right. Now we're into the, the quick fire round to finish wow. off. Okay. Um, what invention do you hope to see in your lifetime? Wow. Faster travel. I really want faster travel. I'm sick and tired of flying 20 hours to get to Israel. Imagine if we could do it in four or five. It's quicker now. You can go through Dubai at least. Yeah, I know. It's still 13 plus three. Yeah. It's long. It's very long when you, live, uh, when you live down under. Yeah. This is something that would really change the world. What's a lesson learned the hard way? Hiring the wrong person uh, to a role. Yep, they say uh, an hour spent on recruitment is 100 mm. hours saved in the future. That's a good one. But yeah, when you hire the wrong person, it's, it's a complete waste of time. And that could mean uh, your business not advancing for a year or two. And it, has, it's, it happens to everyone because we can't get them all right. I know what the answer might be here. But I'm looking for something else. What <laughs> book should every company builder read? <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm actually not a book reader. I generally wait for the movie, you yes, know? Yeah. I actually don't, don't read books, but I really enjoyed, uh, you know, writing this book. And, and I'm so proud that so many people are enjoying it and so many people are using it as an inspiration and not necessarily in the e-commerce or retail space. I speak to bus drivers and painters yeah. and people in the real estate space and there's something there for everyone. Yeah. But yeah, for the record, Gabby doesn't read many books. Okay. <laughs> um, what's the best interview question in your toolbox? It's not the best question, but I'll, this is something I'd like to mention. One of the questions that I often ask is, where do you live? Because I hate hiring people that need to drive an hour and a half or longer than an hour to work. You basically, you will lose a lot of your energy and for simply by, by driving. Yeah. And if you do spend three hours a day commuting to yeah, work, uh, it'll kill you and you're probably not going to last and you will look for a different role. It's a question that I often ask, and I don't think many people do, but it's, I think it's very important. What question are you asked more than any other? A question that often comes up uh, is, Gabby, when you started the business, did you think that it's going to become as big as it is? <laughs> that question comes up quite often. And did you? No, of course not. Did you have dreams that it might? No, of course not. Because again, we worked for two uh, years on eBay, earning a measly salary. And uh, I think I touched on it earlier when we launched our aim was to sell 60 products a day. And we did the match that with 60 products a day, we'll pay our six employees and we'll pay the rent and we'll take home a nice salary. And that was the aim in, in call it year one. The rest just happened, you know, 60 products a day suddenly turned into 100 and 300 and 3,000 and, 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 you know, it was definitely a pinch me moment. But no, I don't think anyone does when they're in the garage thinking that it can become a market leader in any industry. Can't even but conceive. all businesses somehow start in the garage. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What's your favorite football team? <laughs> Liverpool in England. What advice should first-time founders heed? 
if you have to pick one, I say do not wait for perfection in order, in order to launch your product. You just know that you'll keep improving on it day after day. But if you do wait for perfection, chances are you probably waited too long and you wasted the opportunity. Missed your time. Just go for it. Gabby Levovich, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, get the book, Capture the Decade, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Tony. It was fun. It was good.